Welcome to the Mortcast, presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, all of you know I am a wine fan. Even though on the last Gen X music show I was actually drinking something else other than Blanchard, uh, honestly, Blanchard is my go-to wine. Um, their 2017 Cabernet is really, really good. Um, and right now is the time because from September to about mid-October is basically when Denver is perfect weather. Absolutely magnifique, as, as the French would say. It is absolutely 100, 100% the best time to go out, maybe go to a socially distanced uh, uh, table in the dairy block. Uh, by reservation to get to to Blanche Family Wines, or even, you know, if you're not comfortable with that, do a virtual wine tasting, or have uh, some wine delivered to you. They do it all. Uh, you can find that at bfwdenver.com, and you can, like, look at their uh, various options for all of that uh, on their website. They got Pinots, they got Cabs, they got, you know, basically all those varieties of red wines that you love, know, and love. They also have a Riesling, which is a, a uh, partnership with a uh, Western Slope Winery called Storm Cellars. It's really good. Uh, I, I've said this before. I'm not, I'm not a guy who normally cares for Rieslings. I'm a red guy, but that uh, I had it one of the times I went. You know, before the pandemic came down, and it was really, really good. I highly suggest checking that one out. Once again, bfwdenver.com for all that information. They are on Facebook and Instagram under Blanchard Family Wines. They are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sends you there. I'd also like to talk to you about my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, Andy Feinstein, and talk to you about his Vexto Event Center. Please support our friends at Exto Event Center, located in Denver's vibrant Rhino Arts District. Exo Events Center can host safe, socially distanced events for 25 to 175 persons outdoors and up to 100 persons indoors. If you are interested in hosting an event for a corporate gathering, fundraiser, client appreciation, birthday, or anniversary party, or just generally a morale-boosting happy hour, Exo would love to be, you know, be part of that. Exo would welcome the opportunity to, to do this for you. Please visit exoevents.com for more information and book your private event today. Hello, everybody. What's up? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Um, well, the Nuggets uh, have, have had an interesting, interesting time. Uh, they, they beat, defeated the Los Angeles Clippers, uh, 111-105. Uh, in uh, game number five to stave off elimination. It is now a 3-2 series going to game six, which will be played tomorrow as of this recording, uh, Sunday. Um, I got some takeaways, and I'm going to be pretty forceful with some of these things, so I hope you bear with me for a second. Um, the MPJ thing, I didn't get a chance to address it because the, the last podcast I had was a Gen X music show. Uh, which everyone check out, by the way. If you like to hear people talking about just general music, uh, we did one on U2, um, and, and one, uh, the last one was just on Oz Rock is Dead. I highly should suggest you check that out. Um, we all, as a bunch of friends, we all know about music, um, and we just sit there and, and basically bullshit about music. 
and uh, it's a great time, and I hope everyone enjoys it. This is it's going to be involving the crew of of Magnus, uh, Pat, Joe, and myself. It'll be sometimes different varieties of us separating out for different subjects, like goth music, like Jimmy Page, like any all of those things. I highly suggest you check it out because it's one of my favorite things to do. I also have a Gen X movie show coming up with several guests that I think uh, you will really, really enjoy. Uh, I'm branching out into a whole bunch of different areas, and I hope you'll come here with me. Anyway, regardless, I uh, didn't get a chance to address the MPJ comments. Uh, I had no issue with them, and I didn't even really care that it was coming from a rookie. Honestly, it's just it's one of those things. If you listen to my radio show, I talked about it. It is what it is, and he was correct. He probably shouldn't have vocalized it the way he did, but he was correct. 100% correct. Now, the Nuggets at some point in Game 5 were down by 15. They were down by 16, I think, at one point, too. It was, just, it was heading towards a bad deal. Uh, the Nuggets couldn't get within 10 points, and the Clippers were doing a good job of keeping him at, keeping the Nuggets at bay. Um, and really the breakthrough came in a, about a three, four minute stretch with Paul Millsap. And it really began with, uh, him taking umbrage with Marcus Morris and his antics. And I think that kind of set the tone a little differently. And I think this team, like, it's almost like they need permission to be physical, or at least a need permission to not take shit, <laughs> basically. And I think one of the more revelatory things we have seen is that the two games where the Nuggets didn't put up with the Clippers shit were the two games they won. Uh, one of them was uh, Nikola Jokic clobbering Patrick Beverly in the face. And the other one was uh, Paul Millsap just not taking crap from Marcus Morris. Um, yeah, <laughs> that really is where this begins and ends. Uh, we could talk about lineup adjustments all we want, but psychologically speaking, it is very consistent. And this Nuggets team does have a tendency to let people punk them. And then uh, much like in the, what was it, game three where the Nuggets lost in the first round where Royce O'Neal blew a kiss uh, to Nikola Jokic, uh, it was like there was no retaliation, and it, it bummed me out. It bummed me out. And what we have seen since, in this, particularly in this Clippers series, is that the Nuggets were obviously more talented than the Utah Jazz. That was 100% clear. And it took a while for the Nuggets to realize it. Right, <laughs> they just got they they get to go through these these droughts, and there's go through these times where they're really blasé. But it took the Nuggets just some time to realize, hey, we're a lot better than this team. And look, it's the same thing applied to last year when they played the uh, Portland Trailblazers, when they should have won that series. They were a much better team than, than the Blazers were. That's just let's let's be one hundred percent honest here, and they didn't realize it and they gave up a big lead in game seven and they lost. What I've noticed is this team does kind of exhale a little when they don't stand up for the shit that the Clippers are giving them. And really we could talk about lineups. We could talk about uh, adjustments. We could talk about Michael Malone's lack of 
uh, foresight in adjusting, um, which is still a problem. It is still a problem, folks. Michael Malone has a has a, he is the last guy on the planet to adjust. Let's just put it to you that way. Um, that is still an issue. However, the really at the core of it is the Nuggets allow themselves to be punked. And the two times they have won this series, they have not put up with the Clippers' shit. And really, it took that moment in the third quarter between uh, Morris and uh, Millsap for the Nuggets to kind of exhale and just get start playing their own game. And and people confuse physical play with thuggery. And it, it's true. It, they really do. Uh, and, and, and it's a, not a nuanced way to look at this. The, the, the correct way to perceive it is there's always moments where you have to stand up. Because this, this Clippers team doesn't, clearly doesn't respect the Nuggets. Um, I think other people have said it, but I, I, I knew it from the beginning. They don't respect the Nuggets. Um, primarily, for whatever reason, that ire is focused on Jokic, even though Jokic is cooking them all the time. They are a team that really doesn't respect this Nuggets team. And you could tell they didn't respect the uh, Mavericks either. There's a team that uh, thinks they've accomplished a lot and has accomplished nothing, right? Yes, Kawhi's won a couple championships. Doc Rivers won one 12 years ago. But there's like been nothing since. And the only person that can crow about anything is when the one who's going to say the least is Kawhi Leonard. But the rest of these guys, Paul George, Mark, you know, the Morris, Lou Williams, you know, all those guys have won collectively and separate nothing. And they talk a lot and they have a sense of entitlement that is that is huge. Eventually, you got to get sick of that. And I always thought it would have been Mason Plumley who finally had enough of that shit, right? But it turns out that it was the guy who has struggled the most in these playoffs, Paul Millsap, who not only took it upon himself to not, you know, let Morris punk him around, but he also played really well for that entire third quarter stretch he was in there. And it really gave laid the groundwork for the Nuggets to go into uh, the fourth quarter and Basically, not only outscore the Clippers, but put the clamps down on them. To an extent where, uh, you know, obviously, Paul Millsap didn't play the entire fourth quarter. He didn't, he didn't play uh, after that third quarter stretch. But it laid the groundwork for that Nuggets team to come in with a lineup that we all like, which is Jamal, uh, MPJ, Jokic. Those guys, um, Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Grant too. Uh, it it uh, it allowed them to come out and play with abandon, right? So you lay the groundwork in the third quarter for what happens in the fourth, um, and I think that was spectacular. And then Jamal was able to get loose. Nikola Jokic was able to hit a couple threes, and he ended up with twenty two points and fourteen rebounds. Hey, Jamal ended up with twenty six points and. Uh, some assists. That's really kind of where they need to be. Um, Michael Porter Jr. Okay, let's discuss Porter. Um, I like I said, I, I did the, the comments or whatever. I, I it, it is what it was. He, he just basically said what everyone else was thinking. 
Um, Porter's going to be that guy, and we all need to accept this. Michael Porter Jr. is going to be that guy who just says this. Kind of like Devin Booker, just just accept that that is the way he is going to proceed through life. Um, Porter also took a huge shot. Uh, and, and people have, uh, it's been interesting with the analysis of that Porter shot, and it's been bugging me about that shouldn't have been a shot that he took, which is the biggest load of shit I've ever heard, right? And let me tell you why. If you watch that, and I'm sorry, I apologize for my language. I'm salty this morning. I must be. Um, <laughs> the, it's a big load of crap that, that he should not have taken that shot. Let me tell you something. If you watch that again, um, you see Jamal pointing to Jokic to swing it specifically to Michael Porter Jr. because he was largely open. The Clippers were standing on the perimeter. The, uh, <laughs> the Nuggets, they clearly were not respecting uh, that Porter was going to shoot. He was being guarded by Lou fucking Williams, right? There wasn't any sort of... Uh, it was just a matchup advantage. And if I am going to tell anyone to take that shot, I'm, it's going to be Michael Porter Jr. because he's an extremely efficient shooter, even when he's not shooting a lot, right? It's, it's, it's just basic math, and I, and I know I'm not big on math on this podcast, but it's true. It's just he, he's the guy you want taking a shot when he's open. And the narrative around this has been strange, like it was a risky shot. No, it wasn't. It was not a risky shot. He, even if he would have missed it, right? It was a two-point game. Even if he would have missed it. The Nuggets, I think they still would have won the game. Yeah, it was a two-point game. But if he missed it, Torrey Craig was running to the basket. Jeremy Grant was running to the basket. The Nuggets had offensive rebounders. But I just, once, as soon as it left his hands, it's like, oh, that's it. <laughs> it says, like, well, Porter's one of those guys where you know it. As soon as it leaves his hand, you just, you see the way it's going. You know that it's heading towards the bottom of the cup. And it did. I don't want to hear this narrative that he shouldn't have taken that shot. That's a load of crap. Jamal and Jokic were not in the position at that point in time to take it. Yes, there was 12 seconds left on the clock. But honestly, I, it, it, it is what it is. Right? If the Nuggets would have worked themselves down to a terrible mid-range um, contested shot because they were standing around, uh, which is what was happening that, that uh, set, by the way, um, we, all of us would have been pissed off. And a lot of people would have been blaming, blaming Michael Porter for not taking the shot when he, had, when he was open. He was open and being guarded by Lou Williams. Stop. Just Stop. It was a good shot. Okay? Now, his block on Zubat was probably even more impressive than that shot. Honestly, he just stood... Zubac must uh, outweigh him by at least 50 pounds. And Porter went up and just blocked his shit at the rim. And you're like... Okay, and he not only did he block it, he went up straight, and it was you know he was kind of on uh, Zubac's side, but he's, he, that was a strong, strong block. And then after they get that uh, deflection, the Clippers get the deflection. He collects the offensive rebound, strong. That entire sequence between 
the shot that hit Porter hit to the, the block was basically exactly why you have to have him out there at that, that point in time. And people need to look at it this way. One of the reasons Porter needs to be out there, regardless of his mistakes, and he makes a lot of them, one of the reasons Porter needs to be out there is because the Clippers do not respect the Nuggets shooters at all. None. They guard Jamal. That's it. And they know they can't do anything about Jokic. That's it. I mean, I've said this on my radio program over and over. Doc Rivers has made one adjustment in this entire series, and that is to cover Jamal. That's it. There has been no schematic difference. There has been nothing largely that they've differed on offense. It has been, we will, we will just make sure Jamal has to work for everything he gets. That's it. And what that did in Game 4 was completely disrupt the Nuggets to the point where their offense was completely inept. And this is why people were screaming about adjustments from the Nuggets. Because the Nuggets weren't helping out Jamal. Seriously, they weren't helping out Jamal. Well, one of the ways you help out Jamal is give the, another, the Nuggets offense another scoring option that can space the floor. And look, even when he's not scoring, they have to cover Michael Porter Jr., there's not a single other person on that bench, a Nuggets bench, who the, 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 the uh, Clippers have to respect. But they know they have to respect Michael Porter Jr., even though, like I said, they had Lou freaking Williams guarding him for some reason. Um, it was, it was the, the case. There's certain things you need to do, right, to make your offense function against certain opponents. That may not apply in other series. Right, It certainly didn't apply against the, the Jazz, but it seems to work against the Clippers. When Porter was scoring that 15 points in the first half uh, against, uh, again, the Game 4, the, the Clippers were panicked because they couldn't cover the Nuggets. It was, I think people need to realize that uh, the, when the Clippers got up big, they, the people will say they relaxed. The difference was Porter came in, he started hitting shots. And the Clippers were like, oh shit, and you gotta cover him now. And the Nuggets cut him a break by Malone not realizing the pulse of his team. Uh, in that uh, when Gary Harris got his fourth foul. Him not understanding that they the Nuggets were in the bonus and they needed a guy out there to uh Press the advantage at that time was the disappointment. That was the most concerning part of game four to me was Malone not under, realizing that's what they needed out there because the Nuggets' offense was ridiculous. I mean, it actually shut shut down after that. Um, coming back to this, Porter's out there. And along with Millsap, you just got the feeling, because like uh, with Millsap, unlike, unlike Porter, is that when the Nuggets were entering into the fourth quarter, Millsap, what he had done, he said he had played a long stretch of basketball with the bench unit and had basically made sure the Nuggets were in reach. But there, there's an expiration date because of Millsap's age. There's an expiration on how long you can keep going back to that. Uh, it's very easy to key in on Paul Millsap. Um, he, has, uh, he hits some shots, but he, you're, he's not a guy that's going to be out there 
being a not dead eye shooter or anything like that. And uh, it's just it's just the way it is. That's he's very easy to compensate for. It's just they couldn't do it, right? Millsap gets to the lane. He doesn't get punked, which was the biggest thing Millsap did. Uh, the Nuggets come in in that fourth quarter, and and you know I talked to spent about five five and a half minutes on MPJ, but the biggest players in that fourth quarter were Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. Um, it's very clear that the, the the Clippers have no answer for Nikola Jokic, and this is it's been that way. It's been that way this entire series. That's why the Clippers whine, not Doc Rivers. But the rest of them whine so much about, quote, flailing and flopping. Because he gets Zubac in foul trouble. Like, immediately. And the foul trouble that Zubac is in, he's the only guy on that Clippers bench that can guard Jokic. This team is not built to guard a guy with Jokic's specifically specific skill set. It's kind of like the Lakers were in 2009. They knew that they didn't have a guy who could cover up Carmelo Anthony. So they specifically went out and got Ron Artest, right? That is, that is 100% it. If you talk to anyone who was around Lakers at that time, they'll tell you the same thing. They got it because they were terrified that they couldn't really compensate for Carmelo Anthony, even though they had beat the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals the year before. Well, it's the same thing. The Clippers don't have anyone who can guard Nikola Jokic. They do have a lot of people who can guard Jamal Murray. And what the Porter did being out there in the fourth quarter was it opens up. He didn't shoot until the end of the game. But you you open up the lane when you have to compensate for another offensive threat like that. That's why the Clippers use Lou Williams so much, even though he's such a minus on defense, which, hello, 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 does that remind you of someone? Because they know that they have to have that option open. They have to have that offensive threat there to to go with uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. It's not enough just to do dribble handoff, dribble handoff, pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll, high pick and roll with Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic. you got to have someone else there. And it was very telling to me that Jamal was the one who pointed over to uh, Porter, who was just kind of standing there. Now, I will say Porter needs to make himself available more. Uh, the, the, the guys need to look for him, but the, he needs to make himself available. Um, you know, it's, it's exhausting to constantly move, but you guess what? You've got to move at the right time know your advantage, and go to the cup. Um, and he's so big, so so tall, that nine times out of ten, he's gonna, even if he misses it, he's going to get a good shot. That's what he needs to do. Um, and Jamal, I'll give Jamal all the credit. Nikola Jokic wasn't even looking at him. Jamal's the one who pointed out, get it over to, to uh, Porter. And he did. And that, my friends, was a great and kind of a revelatory moment for me in... Jamal Murray's own maturation. Before I finish up this uh, Mortcast, I'd like to talk to you about DraftKings Sportsbook and America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thursday was just the warm-up. Now is the time to get ready for Sunday's full slate of action, which is tomorrow. And there is no better place to get in the game than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add this 
to add to this week's uh, excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook is rolling out a can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head over to the app store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings is giving all new users, all new users, the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right, any team. You can place $1 bet on any team. If that team wins, you win a cool Benjamin. How does that? How can you pass that up? If you're new to DraftKings Sportsbook, head to the app now and scout their latest offers. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code MHS when you sign up and to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week one, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That is $1 to win $100 when you use the promo code MHS during sign-up. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. To kind of wrap this up and preview Game 6, honestly, I don't know what's going to happen. The Clippers are legitimately a good team, but it's important for the Nuggets to not get proved and extend into Game 6 that they won't get punked. Patrick Beverly wants to do it. Morris wants to do it. You know, they don't respect the Nuggets. So the Nuggets have to make them respect them. And Paul Millsap not taking any crap from Mark, from Morris was a good start. Jokic smacking Beverly in the face in Game 2. Great. The Nuggets need to just do that. They don't really, they're not a team that's built for confrontation. Um, it's, that much is clear. And, but sometimes you just got to stand up to the bully. And, and, and quite frankly, when a team just openly disrespects you as much as the Clippers do, a team that has accomplished zero, by the way, um, you need to stand up to them and prove to them that you aren't going to be that way. Regardless of what of, of whether they win or this series gets wrapped up on Sunday or if the Nuggets extend it to Tuesday for a Game 7 when anything can happen, making sure that you are not going to be that kind of team is essential for the future. And I think the Nuggets went a long way, but they're going to need a guy other than Millsap, who may not even be on the team next year, to do that sort of thing. You need a guy to stand up and say, I am ready and willing to mix things up. And me mixing things up means the team will respond to it. And and it happened. It's happened twice now. The Nuggets, in this series, when they have a guy who just doesn't take shit, they win the game. That's it. It's that simple. This is all the Clippers want to do is they want to bully the Nuggets. Tell you what, if the Nuggets bully back, what do you, what the, what's the thing you do? They tell you in every school, stand up to bullies. Well, that's what the Nuggets need to do. And they did that in Game 5, and they pulled it out. Let's see if they can do it again in Game 6. Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mordcast, part of the CSG Network. I'm, of course, your host. Jeff Morton, and I will be back soon with another podcast. Thank you.